Good evening, everybody. This is Rich Duncan with Ink Heist, and tonight I'm joined by my co-hosts Shane Douglas Keen and Laurel Hightower. And tonight we're excited to have E.A. Amar on the show, who's released uh, The Unrepentant. He co-edited and contributed to The Night in the Flood, a novel in stories. And he recently released a new thriller, They're Gone as E.A. Bars, which is out through Crooked Lane. Um, so, um, how are you doing tonight? And um, if you want to just kind of give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself, kind of like a new kid at school speech. Oh, yeah, sure. No, thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Uh, and I'm doing good uh, as far as, you know, living in a pandemic outside of a city that was just taken siege by insurrectionists <laughs> despite that everything's everything's golden um and as for me yeah that intro really summed it up uh i live uh, right outside the dc region uh as i alluded to and um one of the things that i do here is i also run the dc noir at the bar series so a noir at the bar is essentially eight to ten writers typically crime fiction get together and they go to a bar and um read short stories uh in front of an audience and it's terrific because as you guys you know know, readings are fairly staid you know kind of conservative in in Mm -hmm. approach and this is you know usually very relaxed uh you get a good mix of either crime fiction or horror writers so you tend to have a really energetic sense in the room and the and a lot of tension in the stories and uh, there's lots and lots of alcohol which is really what i should lead with <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean i'm talking about camaraderie and friendship and it's really the booze yeah yeah that's, <laughs> what, that's what i kept waiting to interrupt you so i could say and booze yeah <laughs> I've actually listened to some recordings of some of the New York uh, noir at the bar, and I I really, really get a kick out of those. Yeah, they're really fun, you know, and it's nice to have uh, an atmosphere where there's no – there are no holds barred, you know. I mean, Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of – you know, so I'm I'm solidly crime fiction. That's where I, like – that's where all my work is centered now and the nice thing about this and i know not every genre has it but the crime fiction community is really supportive you know there's there's always infighting there's always uh controversies and issues that come up but you tend to find that there's a really supportive group of encouraging people who want each other to succeed um you know, I mean, we need it, right? We need we need people to be buying tons of books, um, so they'll so they'll move over to ours as well. Um, and the North Bar really brings that out. You really see a lot of supportive, um, you know, writers supporting each other, supporting first time readers there who are you know dead nervous. Um, it's a nice. It, it kind of encapsulates the crime fiction community. That sounds excellent. Have Have you guys been doing that virtually some since uh, since COVID, or have you all been able to actually do those in person? Yeah, I mean to make it, you know, it, it kind of I find that doing it in person ups the tension because you don't know who's gonna get sick. No, that's yeah. Not doing it virtually. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> it's more exciting that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like a door prize. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, we're Sorry. doing it. We're doing it virtually because it, and you know, so we moved it virtually and I honestly like, I don't know how it was for, for you, but when, when COVID hit in March and, and really not hit, but when, when everything sort of shut down and like March and April, things were so uncertain and, you know, we really didn't know how it was going to affect us or, or what the extent of it was going to be. And there was this uh, a friend of mine, Alex Segura, who's a New York writer, hosted a virtual North bar. He did the first one of these, that one virtually. And I tuned in and this was probably the beginning of April. So we were all really raw and there were like 300 to 400 people online at that event. And if you've been to a writer's reading, you know, that's unusual. (laughs) 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 We've all done the events where it's you and the bookstore owner and, and, and and an embarrassed staff person. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there's like three and, and, and the people wanted to be there. You know, they just really, I mean, it was, there was a common, you know, section that was going as people read and people were listening, but they were also talking and seeing faces and, and communicating. And it felt there was just incredible warmth. And, uh, you know, I, I talked to Alex and I said, Hey, can I, can, would you care if I did this for in DC? And he's like, no, I don't own it or anything. It's go ahead. So I was like, all right. So I, I did it and we had the same response. You know, we, we had maybe 200 people online and then I, I started doing it. I, I did 14 in 2020 and wow. um, we dedicated each one to a different independent bookstore. So all the writers nice. that were reading, all their books were sold through that bookstore. And in, in this area, you know, it wasn't a problem there. It was easy enough to find uh 14 independent bookstores to work with. Uh, we're really fortunate to have that, that, that amount here. And it was, you know, it, it was, it was great. I mean, I, I worried that it would get a little stale at the end, but people, you know, and, and the numbers did drop, but we still always had over a hundred people. And um, there was a real sense of community that came out of that. It was, it was nice. It was nice. And, and, and it gave me the, you know, the, the importance of, I mentioned all that without saying, you know, the importance of community, but really the real importance was that I got to be the center of attention. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everybody was like, what a wonderful thing you're doing. And I was like, I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> the first time anybody talked to me into reading a poem, I think it was Laurel on this show. Um, and I thought, no, no, I can't do that. I was horrified. And I did it one time. It's like, can I read another? Yeah. <laughs> right. It's so I mean, yeah. giving a good reading, you hear comedians talk about, you know, um, when they decided they loved comedy and they're always like when people when, when the first time an audience really laughed with them when they were when they were on stage and they were controlling a room and, you know, a, a reading sort of gives you that there's a moment and where you're where you're doing a reading and, and, and you look and people are, are listening and they're just like everybody in, in the room is, is, is hinged on your next word. And, you know, I mean, cause you we write, right. But we don't know how people are responding. Yeah. 
and and here you're you're seeing it. it it's it's wonderful it, it is intoxicating yeah see i haven't done a live reading and i bet it, i bet it would be i mean i did a video reading but i think on that show we had like two guests so <laughs> um. <laughs> we record on saturday nights though so I mean, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah the reason I got added to the show was because I was the only other person who didn't do things on Saturday nights. So. She's <laughs> <laughs> the only other one without a fucking life. Yep. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I love that, though, that I hadn't thought about that aspect of it. I've, I've attended a few of these, like, virtual readings and, you know, these, uh, like, Q&As and, and things. And I've, I've really loved it, too. Really enjoyed being able to connect with people. But I hadn't thought about it in the, the sense of getting the real time reaction to your work because yeah, you're right. Everything is always so delayed. You're just stalking Goodreads or Amazon, yeah. you know? Exactly. And it, you know, it, you really, you know, for, for me, it's really a learning experience because I, you know, I, so I host, I've hosted the North bar series in DC since like 2015 and, and I am a terrible listener. When it comes to people giving my attention wanders almost immediately and i'm you know I, I don't know what it is i just the minute somebody starts reading a story i'm like oh this is so interesting and then i think about like me saying oh this is so interesting that i'm thinking about man i am listening really well now and at that point <laughs> i have no idea what the fuck someone's talking about I, <laughs> i've just been sitting there commending myself for how good i'm paying attention and i'm like i have, i've lost the story i'm not so for me that's really uh so that the readers that can hold my attention you know who i i'm listening to and 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 i'm just enthralled it it's rare i mean most writers are terrible readers and i'm i'm no exception you know to i i, I use these events to 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 steal um sort of acting tips from other people you know, I mean, um, and, and reading is, you know, a reading is a performance, but it's the worst performance you can do. I mean, it's really watching somebody read out loud and usually they're just staring down in their book. I mean, it's the lowest bar for entertainment and they um, so when somebody does a good job and, and can catch, you know, my attention, you know, I, I'm like wow what what are they doing and how are they doing it and and typically sometimes it's just a story sometimes they're just that good and and the story is that good and it really pulls you in but i I find that a lot of the people who are good readers have some type of acting experience you know or they uh you know they they they, they're able to bring some type of, of something to it that i haven't seen some kind of performance performative element to it yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Laurel. No, go ahead. No. Stole <laughs> that from me. I was just gonna say we have. Uh, I was gonna say we have a few friends that we've had on here a few times. Um, really killer writers that are also voice actors. So when they read or do a po- podcast mm-hmm. like that, they're just amazing, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. You guys all have um, great voices too for this. I mean, I my 
my nipples have been hard the entire time. <laughs> and, and I always hate that about my voice. My voice sounds, you know, like to I mean, I think everybody hates their voice, but yep, yeah. but you guys have like this nice deep resonance. I'm always like uh, I feel like I sound like you know Rosie Perez and White Men Can't Jump. You know. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I do too. I do too. I just don't want to sound like her. Right. <laughs> I, uh, the very first episode we ever did, I think with Laurel, I got dubbed the profane Mr. Rogers by one of our yeah. listeners. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I, though, right? I mean, yeah. Fred Rogers was a great man, so I'll take it. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, Damon Angelica Walters, she said I sounded like Christian Slater. And then we had another guest who said I sounded like an NPR host. <laughs> you really want to go with the Christian Slater thing, yes. right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah, that was interesting what you were saying about the readings, because that was one of the things I was going to ask you, you know. Um, you know, besides to just like the performative aspect, do you find that, um, you know, that there's anything else like maybe the length of the story or like the tone of the story that lends itself to making a more interesting reading? Um, I know you said you set them up, so I don't know if it's just, you know, the writers kind of just pick whatever they want or if you kind of know their voices and you kind of, you know, stagger it out based on the types of stories that they write and the tones. I mean, I'm usually familiar with the writers enough to to know how to pace the event, you know, to know who's going to be like I, I I rarely have one of these where I'm where I'm you know wholly unfamiliar with with the writers um, reading there. I if I know somebody's a good reader, you know, or I'll usually have two or three people that I I sort of trust. And I know they're going to be real crowd pleasers, and I'll. I'll place them throughout it so they don't follow each other. Um, but I, I would say, you know, the, the, the golden rule, I think, for all readings is it, you got to keep it within a, a pretty short time limit. I mean, I, I, I tell people not to go over eight minutes and writers do not follow that rule because it's, it's hard, man. You're reading. And if, if the reading is going well, then you might read a little more and you're, you're, you know, you're, you're making up the rules in your mind as you go. It, 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 it can be really frustrating, uh, especially when we did these live and I, we did it at a, at a bar um, in DC and they gave us space for free, but right after like they gave us it from like six to seven and then at seven they had a paid somebody who paid for the space coming after us and and you know people would be reading for like 12 minutes and i'm like motherfucker you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna cut somebody off at the end you know and and it was um so it's really i i really stressed people you know keep it to eight minutes because that's also the sweet spot it, you, mm. people's I don't know. You just tend to wander after that, unless unless the person's really gifted at reading and the story's that good. But but it, it's it's hard for somebody on stage to know if they're not doing well. Even a even a, a little murmur of laughter goes a long way to reinforcing your your ego. So and and the audiences are, are polite. 
you know, this isn't the Apollo. I mean, they're not booing people on stage. <laughs> so it's um, so, so that, that that can be a little tricky. I, I always tell people, like, just go for eight minutes and no more than that. Less is less is fine. I, I do find that self-contained stories tend to work. You know, a short story is usually mm-hmm. best. Most people want to read part of their novel because they think people are going to buy their books afterwards, and that never happens at these events. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's fine. I mean, if, if, if somebody wants to read that, I, I get that. I mean, and reading the, the first part of a, of a crime fiction novel should be captivating enough to, to get someone's attention. So I don't really set rules that aside from just eight minutes, that's really the only rule that I set for these, for these events. You need to and that's a buzzer, you know, like just <laughs> you hit the buzzer, they're done. They're off the stage. But that, I, I'm, 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 <laughs> well, now with, you know, now that it's online, I can just shut, you know, shut down. Their yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my God, we lost connection. <laughs> I am so sorry. They did that to me at the COVID con because I'm so fucking chatty. Moderators, <laughs> and I'm still talking away and click. I'm gone. <laughs> it's like, well, they won't invite me back now. Thanks. <laughs> it's something to keep in mind, though, when you accidentally get disconnected. You're like, oh wait, was that yeah. me? <laughs> I will now forever have that fear. That's that's one more. <laughs> <laughs> <Let me know. laughs> well, um, do you want to talk some about the the book that's just come out? Um, They're gone. Oh yeah, sure. So they're gone uh, is a story about two women from markedly different uh, paths. One's a twenty-something Baltimore bartender. The other is a forty-something Northern Virginia uh, suburban housewife and they um their husbands are murdered the same night the same way and trying to figure out what happens brings them together um and then hilarity ensues uh and they uh so it came out last november through crooked lane and it came out under a pseudonym uh ea bars um as you mentioned in your intro and yeah i think that's it was i was fortunate to get it's my it's my second book that's out right now it's the fourth book that i've published but the first two uh were with a tiny publisher and uh my agent and i took those books back because they were just sitting there which is what books do i mean they just sit there but i meant in a more (laughs) (laughs) in a more marketing and sales sense yeah (laughs) um so we, we took those back so this uh, follows my 2019 book, The Unrepentant, that uh, that was out in March, in March of 2019. Oh, nice. Now, was that also through Crooked Lane or was that through a different publisher? No, that was through a publisher, Down and Out Books. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I love Down and Out. They were, they were fantastic mm-hmm. to work with and they were great. And um, we... And I, I would have been happy to stay with them. It's just Crooked Lane offered a little bit more in regards to the advance and in regards to marketing outreach. Um, and they, they were great to work with. Uh, it was they, – they've been they, – they were – you know, I have nothing against Down Out. If Crooked Lane had a little more reach um, in regards to their marketing efforts. Um, 
but yeah, and the book was in hardcover, which is nice. I didn't I didn't actually want a hardcover book, and I was going to when they told me that I was gonna say like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't want something that costs like over twenty dollars for mm-hmm. people. But then everybody told me I was being a fucking idiot. <laughs> 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 you know, I mean, it's going to be hard to tell people like, oh, hey, dude, 27 bucks for a book now seems like a rarity for me. I'm not, I'm not Obama, you know, so I was like, I don't, I don't know if this is going to pan out. But, um, yeah, it was it, it was it was it was nice. It was a good experience working with them. And I, you know, I and, and I'm a real fan of some of their writers that you mentioned, uh, Damien, Angelica Walters. You know, I know her last book came out with them. Um, and, and a couple of other writers that I know, uh, who I'm friends with, Eliza Nellums and some others are all published with them. So. Yeah, they, they do seem like they have a good, um, a good marketing reach and, and, uh, everything. So yeah, they're, I, I've really, I've really liked everything I've read through Crooked Lane. Yeah, and they they were they were good with the you know editing and, and everything else. I mean the the um it, it's all kind of a learning experience for me as I go because um the publishers that I've been with have been slightly bigger than than the one before them, um and it it, it it's interesting to see how you know how business is sort of conducted at at, at different levels. So it, it it's uh it's been interesting. I, I I was happy with them, which which is nice because I know that's not always the case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, one thing I was curious about because you had mentioned that like I know you published four, but you know technically with what's available, you have the unrepentant, which would be um you know your I'm not sure out of the four if it was your first, but of what's available, you know, that was your yeah. first. And I believe that was released under your own name. Yeah. Um, and then this one, you decided to go with a pseudonym. And I was just curious, you know, what made you kind of decide to follow up kind of your debut with a pseudonym? Like, were they vastly different in tone or was it just, um, you know, just coincidence that it worked out that way? Now there were there were two reasons, uh, and the first was kind of a personal one. Which is the Unrepentant was really a book about they, so it, it was a book about a woman who is, escapes from a group of criminals or sex traffickers, and mm-hmm. I did a lot of research into sex trafficking, which always sounds like I, I slept with sex workers, which wasn't the case. <laughs> I, <laughs> but I talked to a lot of of woman who uh had been coerced into sex work against their will and i read a lot about it and the uh you know that that book bore a lot of that research and it it was um like the book was fairly well received it was nominated for an anthony it got favorable trade reviews um but it always came with like a warning. It was sort of like those drug commercials where they're like, you know, this will help you feel good. Side effects may include, and <laughs> talking about the underpen, like it, it's, it's great. A little rapey. Uh, and I didn't want to, I, I didn't want to fall into that sort of identity. 
as I, you know, I don't want to be the guy who writes really great rape scenes. You know, I, I wanted to be yeah. somebody who can step outside of that and then who can do it. The unrepentant called for that because the, the research I did, um, I mean, it wasn't nearly as bad as what's in the book for as harsh mm-hmm. as that book was. Um, and, and but that research stayed with me and it, it figures into they're gone and it'll probably figure into my next few books. I, I think because it, it, it changed me. Um, so I wanted to, with they're gone, I wanted to write something that was commercial. Yeah. I wanted to write something that a book club could read and, and was still very much me that, that, that was absolutely my book, but, but was something that was, you know, um, the, the kind of book that people could talk about and share and that um, and that and that I, I didn't have to you know that I, I didn't have to not not so much defend but you know kind of make the same the, the same cover the same ground that I'd had before I guess yeah. but the yeah. other thing the, the the other thing that that was that you know when we were shopping around they're gone um, you know, we had some, some, every publisher that was interested, um, was concerned about the sales for my first two books. Mm. And they, they all said, you know, you might want to consider going under a pen name because those sales could hurt you with booksellers, with book buyers. Uh. And, you know, I, I thought about it and, I thought, you know, in addition to – it'd be kind of nice to, to to have that. I don't want anything to hold me back. Yeah. You know, I don't want anything. Mm-hmm. I don't want this book not to, to have a barrier that I didn't – that, that I, I, I could have knocked down. Right. So, um, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No. Um, yeah, see, that's how I am. I get distracted too. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it was so that was that was the the other thing, you know, that really led to the impetus, you know, because I and, and I have to say I handled it poorly. <laughs> I, I did not I, I probably should have like made up another website or created other social media handles and been like, Hey, if you like me, you'll, you'll love this guy. EA bars. Whoa. You know, but instead I was just like, it's me. That's, you know, every time that name appears, my real name is with it. And I, because I, I feel like, you know, I'm, it, it felt like lying. And I don't know. I, I I should have done it differently and I didn't. So the whole thing was probably futile and dumb. But <laughs> like I said, it's always a learning experience. I don't know. It's cool to have two names, so yeah, Kinda, um, yeah right. Um, especially if you could get a different set of fingerprints too. But that's another thing. Well, I remember uh, reading like I saw some science fiction movie where this guy was like, "What's your name?" and the dude's like, "Tom," and he's like, "No, not your government name." And I was like, "Oh my god, that's so cool." <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to have a government name either, man. So I was, so that was the other thing. Was I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome if I ever, I don't know, need insurance money or something. Or <laughs> two, um, that you ended up, you ended up shopping that book to what I think is the right publisher. I love those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Crooked Lane. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, we, yeah. Like, like I said, they, they are absolutely are fantastic to work with. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I would be, I'd be happy to continue with them. Uh oh, yeah. silence. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, um, with with they're gone, um, I I loved I loved this book first of all, but um, one thing that I yeah, one thing that I found interesting, and I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on kind of how you approach doing that, and without getting too spoilery, is you know you kind of almost have two main characters, um, Deb and Sessie. And it's almost like you're telling two stories in one novel before, you know, you kind of weave them together. And I was just curious, you know, what your approach was on that. Like if you kind of handled one characters first and then the others, or if you kind of just staggered it. I, I, I tend to tell it sequentially, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I kind of have to go in order of what happens. I, I can't write like, one person and another that that seems like it'd be complicated but it, it's funny you ask that because one of the things i i, I don't you know I, I think as writers we we know what our strengths are and what we need to work on and and usually it's what we enjoy writing and what we kind of struggle with and i don't consider myself a very good plotter i i don't i i don't you know in crime fiction everybody assumes you write mysteries and i definitively do not i i i don't understand them when i read them they confuse me i maybe it's lack of attention but i i feel like you know the the plots are really intricate and complicated and i do not understand how people write it or or how they you know make them make them as intricate as they do so Mm -hmm. i worry about um the plots of my books because i feel Um, like go ahead Oh, yeah. So writing the two characters is sort of a cheat for that. You know, it, I, you're telling two different stories and then they have to intertwine. So it looks like sort of a complicated plot to bring these two disparate characters together. But it actually um, becomes, you know, kind of a it, it, it sort of complicates itself. Huh. I like that. I yeah, like yeah. That, uh, I like that aspect of it. Yeah, me too. Because it and did I'll, when you. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Shane. No, you were you were fine. Um, I was just gonna say because like when you initially said, "Oh, I'm not a good plotter," I was like, "What? No, I. This is very. <laughs> yeah, because you know, it did seem like very intricate, and I'm like, oh, well played. Very yeah. effective. Very effective. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, if you really want to get creative, you know, you just have like eight different characters. <laughs> <laughs> Just add more. Whenever yeah, you yeah. get more intricate, yeah. add more. <laughs> a bigger book. <laughs> um, the point, though, that you made there about mystery um, is I, I get that because I like to write some crime fiction, but I mystery is just too convoluted for me. Whereas noir, you kind of go into most noir stories knowing what's fucked up about this right out the gate. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there, there are obviously mystery writers that I, that I love and I, I admire a great deal. I just would never want to write something like, yeah. I, like mystery writers are always like, oh, you know, I, I, I do the murder, then I figure it out later, and I'm like, oh god, that sounds awful. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's also, I feel like, how sometimes, I don't know, I guess people can, I guess some people are good at keeping that in their head, but I feel like I get to the end and be like, oh, I forgot to figure out who did it. Damn it. Right? Yeah. yeah. And all these, like, ha- red herrings you have to put up and, and you have to, you know, lead someone on to a certain thing. It just seems like it'd be really confusing. I mean, I, I um, like knowing who the bad guy is because, you know, also bad guys are fun to write. And in a mystery, that that identity is often, you know, a little because, I mean, you can solve some fucked up people, but a lot of times you can't you can't go too deep into the uh, into the uh, antagonist. Yeah. 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 Oh, sorry, Laurel. No, I was actually just saying, yeah, that was. okay. (laughs) Please proceed with something more complex. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, I kind of like that approach and, you know, maybe there's mysteries where it's not so reliant on keeping things a secret, mm-hmm. kind of like you said, that's why I like the approach of like, and like Shane said, like noirs and, you know, just regular sort of crime stories is that, you know, like a lot of times, even if you know that that person is, you know, the quote unquote bad guy of the story, you know, it's still interesting because you can kind of delve deeper into their character throughout, whereas, like, with a mystery, you might have to be a little bit more careful. Yeah, and it's fun. You know, I was, for some reason, you know, I'm thinking, like, you know, like, uh, I was thinking, we're talking about antagonists, and I'm thinking about, like, Batman, the Dark Knight, and the Joker, and what a shame it would have been to not have him as a constant character throughout. You know, it's kind of fun to have an antagonist where you can just put him out there and say, like, yeah, this is as, you know, cackling and evil as you want to get. Yeah, because then then you're not wasting the potential for them. You're not you're not cutting their screen time so much. And it gives you another, you know, I I, I think for me, part of the other reason about writing co-protagonists is it gives me more characters to explore it with some depth. You know, I, you don't, I I find with a one person book, that would really be hard. You know, I, I don't know if I'd have the patience for it, to be honest at this, at this point, I, I, you know, the, the dedicated, it'd have to be a really compelling character. The, The other thing I find, you know, with writing, like I, 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 I also find writing a series kind of daunting because you would really need to be invested in somebody, you as the writer, you know, for an indefinite amount of time. That 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 seems uh, like asking a lot of yourself. Yeah, it's I guess if you if you go into it, not necessarily having to have a series, but you want to revisit characters, because that's the other thing about series is. I really do prefer ones that are that are genuinely standalone, you know, you like, yeah, yeah, like because it's I mean, because I don't it's I appreciate if there are maybe continuing arcs like Laird Barron's um, yeah. uh, Isaiah mm-hmm. Coleridge is perfect for that. There's, you know, there, some of that bridges that. But it's also like every single one of those you could read without having read any of the other ones. Yeah, um, I'm not a super big fan of like cliffhangers. I'm like, that's kind of rude, really. <laughs> I, I bought this book and you're forcing me to buy the next one and i right. probably was going to anyways but now i feel obligated i hate that though and i don't feel obligated that's a that's a i'm done move for me 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, I I get that. I mean, I because I feel like a, a book should stand on its own, right? Because also you're mm-hmm. the writer, you could die. You might not yes. finish the story. Right. <laughs> the story needs to have an ending. Ending, yeah, you know. When I was younger, I was really fucking hooked on the Wheel of Time series, and then that motherfucker died. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I just that wheel just kept turning, and uh, right. it, after a certain point, I, I was like, mm, mm-hmm. I got bored with it too. It got, yeah. and then they had to pass it on to someone else and do another forty books. So, I yeah. I also find that, for, you know, I I really like things that have a, a beginning and an end you know so many series in crime fiction particularly mysteries are written sort of you know just indefinite the the hero doesn't age they just keep going on and on and it 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 i don't know i i like it, it it's sort of the you know what i saw on tv you know how they used to have episodes that were standalone but they never had like an overarching arc and I yeah. love now that the approach has shifted to where you could have like you know a series, a, a television series that's going to run four seasons. Yeah. And within that, they could they can take whatever as many chances as they want. That's and 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 you know kind of like what Game Game of Thrones did. I I I thought that was so interesting and it it's kind mm-hmm. of refreshing. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I will say, like, one one of the series that pisses me off the most about the ending was, um, oh, shit. What's the Western one with, oh, damn it. I'm going to. Um, Deepwood? Ha, ha, mm. Oh, hell on. Deadwood. Deadwood. Okay. Oh, Deadwood. Yeah. yeah. We, were, we were closer. Yeah. Because that obviously, like, was not the end. And that was such a cliffhanger. Like, I really want them mm. to do just one episode and go back and, spoilers, kill that guy. in fact when we get done i'm probably going to write fan fiction where that happens (laughs) um i did want to go because i i when you mentioned you know having the multiple characters giving you a chance to explore them too i i wanted to mention a, a scene that i had noted while i was reading this that i really enjoyed was the um uh the dinner with um kim and rebecca uh and nicole and and um, the the FBI agent. I loved that because I loved how that conversation went. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of. I'm glad, I'm really glad you said that because that was the scene I really liked writing. You know, it's the the I I, I tend to find I I don't get to do this as or I haven't done this as much as I wanted because usually I. I kind of have to tone things down from how it's originally written. Um, and that's fine. Like there is a, there is a scene where they, um, you, the, the first scene where Sessie's, uh, you know, in a fight with somebody at the end of the first part and he's, he's got um, fuzzy handcuffs. And he, yeah. he hits her with him. That was originally a dildo with a steel base. And <laughs> <laughs> she walked in the room and the guy was just standing there wearing, you know, with, with his dildo. And he's like, I, I have a problem getting hard. And she's like, I don't what what's happening here. And, and I re- and then he hits her with it. And I really love that. I thought it was just like one of my favorite things. Right. And, and everybody 
not just one person was like, yeah, that you should change that. So <laughs> I did, but the dinner scene with uh, Levy and with the others just gave me uh, a little bit of freedom to, to, to do that. And then it, it also did the other thing that I, I really, that I, that I have to rein in myself, which is um, getting to uh, either academic uh at times or what what's the i can't remember the word now i'm a writer where you uh <laughs> pedantic that's it. oh yeah, uh, yeah. you know i you don't want to spend too much it, it, it's hard to put the i mean everything has politics in it but i want to i, I want to and i and i think it's especially in the area i live in people are always talking about politics um and that's been sort of a, a constant right now in, in American life, but you want to do it in a way that is is authentic without without interjecting yourself too much. So it, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed that because uh, it, it was fun to write, and I was and it was a concerning scene for me in some ways. Well, I can see that because I know there's also like, and you know, as somebody that tends to just for anxiety purposes regularly run away from political conversations not because yeah. I don't think they're important but because I want to sleep that night mm-hmm. um but I just I did I, I thought the way that you laid it out was great because you know it wasn't it was not um it wasn't like listening to a lecture and Rebecca didn't lecture it was this great back and forth and I really loved that you touched on Deb thinking gosh I, you know I miss this because my husband used to just whatever was being debated, he took the lead, you know, and, and that just, I I don't know, that whole thing was very authentic, like her just kind of discovering all these things that had been suppressed. Um, And the description of Grant's politics was just like, I'm going to write that down and keep that because it was, you know, it was like he, he's a, uh, I'm going to paraphrase here, but it's like, he's a, a liberal who championed causes that didn't particularly affect him. Uh, But when, you know, when, when things like his gaze kind of narrowed when it came to like, oh, taxes. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure about that. You know, and I'm like, I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that just is really authentic. And I loved that. I I loved that you got to do that exploration because we got to see a lot of really interesting, just very human facets of all of them. Um, And the, the interaction between Deb and Rachel too, I thought that was uh, Rachel, Rebecca. I loved that because of the generational difference there. Um, in how they approach that, I just I thought the whole thing was very effective. That's really that, that's really nice. Thank you. And it it um it, it means a lot because one of the things that um that's uh, concerning to me is that I, I'm a guy. And that's not concerning to me. What's concerning to me? <laughs> <laughs> what's concerning to me is you know writing uh you know female characters um okay because you know you i I felt like they were the right characters to tell this story the right people but you certainly don't want to get them wrong and you also don't want to appropriate um anything either you know and and i i'm you know i'm very keenly interested in the debate between artistic license and appropriation um and where that goes and, and where that falls. And, and as writers, you know, we're all part of that. Uh, and I'm fortunate that my agent and my editor and the first people who read um, 
my work are all very strong, outspoken women and who are who enjoy sickly enjoy calling me out on my bullshit. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, the the best the best note I can get when I get an editing letter or not the best note, but but the one that I really that really draws me is just a little note in the comments. that says like, I don't think I would do this. And I'm like, okay, I, I glue myself to that because I, yeah. that, that, that to me is, 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 is sort of like a, a, a view into a world that I, I'm, I'm looking at from the outside, you know, and it, it really, it really helps that. So I don't want to, I, I don't, I, you know, I, I really don't want to get something wrong. And, and, and so many male writers do when we write, when we write woman. And I think I, I think the reason is because you know writers like to show off, men love to show off, and um, and and I think you know guys are like, you know, you think you think this is good. Let me describe menstrual cramps, <laughs> and everybody's <laughs> like, oh god, don't do that. And the guys like, no, 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 I I I got this. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, that, that's where you know you got to know where your line is, like where where you where you, where you come to a screeching halt, and you're like, okay, that's <laughs> I'm this isn't. Let, let me just you know talk about something else. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that is, I mean, that's a it is it is an important conversation to have, you know, with the with the difference between appropriation and artistic license, and also being inclusive because like you don't want to just have a novel full of dudes. You know, because it's like, oh, well, I can't I can't write, you know, anyone yeah. else. So this is all going to be it's yeah. all going to be guys. Um, and it's, you know, none of them are going to be any different from me. And it's all, you know, um, so that is. But but I do I think because I got to I never say this because I don't I don't know. It seems like such like a like a rude thing to say. Plus, everyone loved it. But in the tall grass, I did not watch okay. that. And reading it, it intensely pissed me off <laughs> because, I you know, and I actually I, I happen to think Stephen King writes women quite well not universally but in general i'm like okay you can tell that this man pays attention to his wife and to the women in his life and listens to them because some of the things that his characters say you're like yeah he he, you know that's that's very authentic but uh, there was something that got me incredibly angry about them describing like the the labor process i was like okay you know what yeah. You can talk about it from your aspect, but and, and but I never say that because I'm also like I'm not the person who gets to draw that line, you know. Like maybe maybe that rang true to somebody, and I know that there's involvement there, but it did. That was the one that did it for me. I was like, mm, kind of a little chihuahua growl at them over that, but that's just yeah. me. I don't blame you, not not in the slightest, because I I wouldn't even dare attempt something like that. I'd say, hey, I got a labor scene here. Will you write it, Laura? <laughs> Well, actually, you know how I feel about labor scenes in general, so I would just say, no, I'm going to ask you to leave that out. I would just feel like, and then she gave birth. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. Yeah, there was the baby. It's over. over. Sorry, that's my soapbox. I just tripped over it. Yeah, I mean, it. there's stuff that, yeah, that that I I would, labor is one of them. I mean, you know, my, we have a my wife and I have a six-year-old son and, and seeing him born was, was, uh, you know, astonishing, but, and, and it truly was, which was crazy because I was very jaded prior to all that. 
you know, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like this kid. I mean, what if he hates Jews or something? You know, like, I, I don't know if I'm going to get along. But then, you know, when he was born and I saw I was like, oh, my God, this is that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. But, um, you know, there was the part prior to that, the whole push thing. And yeah. I was, and I felt so much like an outsider. Like this is very animalistic and feminine. And I don't. I can we go back to the fifties? Can I go in the lobby and smoke a cigar? <laughs> I do not belong in this room. Be the nervous father instead of the fucking terrified one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't. I didn't think it was awesome at all the first time my, with my son. When he was born, the doctor catches him and then hands him right to me. And it's like, what the fuck do you want me to do with this? <laughs> I was horrified. It's like, is it normal? <laughs> I actually was a labor coach years and years before I had my son. And um, it is funny to watch it from that aspect because it was basically like an episode of ER unfolding in front of me. And I was worthless i was there i was there to like hold her hand and be her birth coach and i fucking stood there with my mouth open unmoving for like three minutes like the doctor's trying to get around me and i'm just like ah, ah. and then you know she finally looks at me and she's like you're supposed to tell me to breathe i'm like oh god i'm so bad <laughs> I was good at that because it distracted me from the terror. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Distraction was apparently my role at the evening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember we had the room we were in was pretty nice. You know, it was like a, for a delivery room. I was like, oh, this is okay. And they had uh, HGTV on, and I was just like watching House Hunters. And <laughs> I was like, this is. I, I just want to keep watching House Hunters, man. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me look back down. Right. Hey, I'm, I'm going to go grab a burger. And... <laughs> oh, God. Well, but, yeah, sorry to – I just keep bringing us back to childbirth for some reason. I feel like this is the second or third episode I've done that. So, in any case – You think that's um, all no. <laughs> no, I that did it for me. The minute uh, I I'm fine talking about childbirth because the minute my wife gave birth, I like pushed her off the table and I was like, "All right, doc, cut me. <laughs> take, take it out. <laughs> not much of a man anyway, so let's just let's just make it official. I'm not gonna need this anymore. Thank you." <laughs> <laughs> oh god um but well to <laughs> to go uh, uh the thank you for not writing childbirth and um i i felt like you're i i did i really felt like especially with deb um because in in particular there's there is a, a big thing with you know with when you have a child like in large part kind of losing a certain part of your identity which most of the time you don't really mind but it you know just the little things that she's sort of waking up to um, I just, I really, I really appreciated those interactions. I thought it was really, really good. Oh, yeah, that's, that's really, thank you. That, that's really nice to hear. I mean, I, um, I, I worried a lot about 
her and her daughter and and where um you know what what their relationship would be like and and if it should be you know because her, her daughter is going through uh, a, a sort of a sexual awakening as well and i wanted to um it was something i very much wanted to write about but again it, the hard part with a lot of this and, and especially with crime fiction because i you know my, my work is always going to have violence in it and I don't worry too much about how the characters respond to the violence because I'm not typically writing kick-ass characters, you know. So I'm I, I don't have to worry too much about that because most of my my characters are generally people who are in over their heads and don't have that kind of a background. Um, but when it, you know, I even even so. I, I really when it when it comes to violence, I, I really want to be careful not to make not not to have my my female characters act in ways that I, I don't want to masculinize them. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I like kick-ass female characters. I, I I I think that's awesome, and I don't think that, and I certainly don't think those characters don't exist. But what I mean is, it, it, it's very hard not to put in the way at a, at a crucial moment in a book the way you want a character to act right yeah and that's like if you know you got a, a 110 pound woman who's kicking ass like jack reacher there's that's problematic yeah it, it is for a couple of reasons you know i mean i i i know those women exist that, yeah. that's not the problem for me the the, the problem yeah. is it, it's not the character that i'm writing Mm-hmm. typically mm-hmm. and it's um and, and again also with even with like a a, a fight scene it, it you you want to make sure that you're that you're, you're capturing that and and when you're writing a book that you hope is kind of a character study then the character and you know violence and is reveals so much about character yeah. and it, it's it's yeah. tough with me in general because my response to violence would be to flee and hide, um, you know, kind of the Homer Simpson thing. Like, no, don't, don't take me. I, I have a wife and kid. Take them. You know, I, <laughs> you know, I, I know, you know, like I, I'm, I'm continually pissed off in my dreams because when, when, when I have dreams where there is violence, I'm like a, a quivering, blubbering, you know, mess. <laughs> and I'm like, can I just in my dreams at least be, you know, kicking ass? I mean, this is what, so I, I, I need to, you know. I, I want that because I think that's a very human thing and a realistic thing. It's not necessarily an an engaging thing for readers. So it it it's something that I'm I'm constantly kind of reexamining uh, in myself and, and in my writing. Yeah, and I think those kinds of interactions are more. I mean, they're. I'm with you. Sometimes it is fun to you know read the kick-ass character who's. You know, yeah, Jack Reacher going and just smashing anyone who gets in his way, like very mathematically, that can be fun to read, but it's not something you necessarily relate to. Um, Mm -hmm. And in some ways, like this maybe sounds weird, but it's like 
especially if you see yourself and have seen yourself for a long time as somebody who who wouldn't respond well. You know, you're kind of like, oh, I know I'd be that person who fucked it up and who was too afraid to do anything or, you know, whatever. It's kind of because you look around at everyone else and you're thinking, oh, I bet, you know, this person, they're so brave, they do something. And then to like read that stuff and kind of get in with characters and be like, okay, no, this is actually really human. I don't know. In some ways, it's like it's it, it helps you. It helps you connect to the character and it also helps you maybe to to have a, a more realistic view yeah. of it. Yeah. I mean, it's like everybody likes to think that, you know, they would do the right thing in those situations. But honestly, nine out of ten times in those situations, the right thing is just to fucking run, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's always been my first attempt. You know, if that doesn't work, then I'll fight you. <laughs> yeah, and it's, you know, it, it's hard because one of the things is, you know, I, I mean, I, I may someday, I, I very well might write the book where somebody beats up a bar full of people and cracks a joke at the end. Um, it's just not where I am right now. You know, it's not where the, the research that I've done, uh, particularly the research in, in sex trafficking, which is tied intimately to violence, um, you know, where that that's not where my mindset is when I'm writing books. You know, my my mindset is that violence is is, is scarring and it's a, a it, it tends to be a chapter in your life. You know, I mean, I mean, a kind of the 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 close of a chapter, you know, like it can, it can mark your times in your life. Um, and it, it's, you know, there, there's an uncertainty with violence because it's, you know, I'm somebody who's like, I studied martial arts and I wrestled uh, in, in at the collegiate level. And I, you know, I, I enjoy, I mean, I, I watch, I, I have nothing against violence or its portrayals. I'm I'm a fan of movies that have explicit violence to some that have cartoon violence. I, th- I think it's all great if it's done well. Um, but you know, it, it, it's controlled violence at that point, right? It's all controlled. Doing it as a sport, you know, whether it was wrestling, or martial arts, it's it's controlled. Real violence. That that lack of control, that lack of boundary. That that's uh, that that's such a a, a terrifying thing mm-hmm. to, um, to 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 experience. Yeah, um, and even that's a really good point to make because even most good martial arts instructors will tell you, um, you the most dangerous motherfucker in the world is someone who doesn't know what they're doing and has no discipline. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I remember um, that was me. I mean, I remember I was, you know, teaching somebody, you know, I was sparring with somebody and I was like a, a, a white belt and I kicked him in the face uh, because you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, right? you don't know. You, you, you got the keys to a to a Ferrari and you're, you floor it <laughs> and you crash <laughs> yep. the wall. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I took martial arts lessons for a little while, but I just got my ass kicked all the time, you know. And even when we were just, you know, going through the katas and things, I just, mm-hmm. I just, uh, it, I hated it. I wanted to go home and get stoned. Which <laughs> <laughs> also the right answer. <laughs> I I I stopped. I mean, the thing I found with martial arts that I I enjoyed it, but it. Everybody who I knew who did them uh, wanted to fight. 
you know, that was the end goal was eventually they were they were hoping to use this and um, which is what martial arts explicitly doesn't teach you. Right. I mean, you're you're not supposed to want that, but it, it's sort of the way that, um, you know, the, the way that the, the, the sort of stereotyped way that people view fairly or unfairly or not gun owners. Right. Yeah. That they really want to sh- shoot somebody someday. And I don't know if that's true with gun owners, but I know with with everybody that was studying martial arts that, yeah, at some point they had a, a uh, they had an idea of how this was going to go. <laughs> at some point they were going to get to use it and it was going to be awesome. And, and yeah, you know, that that attitude gets a little it wears very fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um. I know my friend Mike Bauer had a lot of problems with that, especially because he was very vocal about the fact that he was a black belt, and people would challenge him to shit yeah. all the time and try to jump him. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> God, I'd just keep my mouth shut about that. <laughs> you know, you can be a black belt, but four people can still kick your ass, man. <laughs> That's for gun. I don't know. I can't speak for everyone, but I like I like shooting my gun, but at a range. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's I don't I no, I never want to shoot anybody. I like imagining targets as ex wives, but I wouldn't actually shoot one of them. <laughs> I don't even do that. It's more just it's just really I don't know. I guess I was raising a very um angry teenager at the time, so maybe I just needed some stress relief. I did not picture him at all. It was just really fun to fire the gun. That's all. <laughs> Get that rage out. <laughs> Well, it, yeah, I mean, it's cathartic. I mean, I've when I've shot guns before, I've never found that sense of catharsis that people find. But I, a lot of my friends, I grew up in Arizona, and you know, guns were pretty frequent and and not problematic at the time when I lived there. But um, I mean, yeah, a couple of people got shot, so I guess they were problematic. <laughs> I'm like, the bar is really low. <laughs> They were just single person shootings, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they, you know, it was, uh, yeah, I, but a lot of my friends, you know, who I liked and valued and stuff, I mean, they found they went shooting as a stress release or for fun or, you know, yeah. and there was no, there's no fault in that. I, I didn't have any fault for, in that. And it's just for some of us, you know, like for, I was raised around guns my entire life on both sides of my family. And they're, you know, the first, especially on my mom's side, they taught me hard fucking core that that thing's just a tool and you can use it for sport. But beyond that, it's just something to protect you, you know. Um, But that's the thing is it just becomes you, you don't it's. It's just natural to be around them, you know, but yeah. But too many people go do exactly what you were talking about and go out and buy a gun because they hope to get a chance to shoot somebody, you know, so. <laughs> I, I think so. And I think, you know, um, you know I, I tend to think uh, I'll, I, I'll preface this by saying that I love being a dude. I mean, yeah. it's great. It's it's so easy. I, I think if. If there was some kind of like 1980s movie where women switched bodies with men, 
woman would be so infuriated at the end of like two days of like this is how easy it is <laughs> like, like oh my i mean I, I think women have some idea but right. they don't understand at the the full you know like this is it you're i yeah. mean this is Fuck. all that happens this fucking body back motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> You know, and and the low bar alone. I mean, I I really enjoy being a a guy, but I will say that you know, um, a, a lot of the you know when I when I when I do research for my work, but yeah, I, I mentioned the sex trafficking a couple of times, but but uh, crime research as well. Um, you know, we always look at violence in you know in in, in ways that you know are either racial or um or economic but we rarely look at it um as you know with like a gendered sexual study you know it, it's rarely hey, i don't know why that is i'm not sure why we um you know why why we don't kind of acknowledge that men tend to be the the problematic aspect yep Yep, a few women, but for the large, larger number of them are men. Yeah, right. And it's you know, so I, um, you know, like, um, you know, your 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 point about you know enjoying shooting a gun, and and not finding anything from not not having any remote desire at all to to ever shoot somebody. Yeah. You know, when you said that, I, I was thinking like, yeah, I I all the friends I know who have expressed that were all women. Mm-hmm. Huh. I mean, they they have no interest in shooting someone. Yeah. As guys, kinda. You know, pretty much just once. Yeah, I mean, maybe the leg or something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you know, I've always wanted to blow someone's kneecap off. I confess. Oh god. <laughs> oh, that's awful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can say to you from like from an age perspective, because this is so fun to think about the you know, the crime writing in this aspect. Cause yeah, it's like, you know, you talked about like the the trauma of violence and things like that. Yeah, like characters who just like get up and shake it off. It's like, mm-hmm. nah, you're like you're you need you're gonna need counseling. Yeah. You're you know, you're gonna mm-hmm. have a serious problem with this. And um uh, <laughs> you said that about the kneecap, like I swear to God, like as many injuries as I've had now, whenever I see that in like a, uh. a TV or movie and someone like kicks a knee, I'm like, no, you yeah. bastard. <laughs> That's fucking permanent, you son of a bitch. <laughs> you're going to need a brace now. You're going to have to stretch every morning when you get up. I mean, I'm 46 now and I, I'm finding that like, oh, yeah, just – you know, violence alone is just waking up in the morning and getting out of bed. <laughs> and that's exactly right. Yeah. My, my version of stretching and exercising is getting up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like running a marathon. I'm like, oh, man. Yeah, exactly. That's another reason to run instead of fight if you can run. Yeah. I got to say, like, I'm like, would my hip hold up if I had to run or should I throw myself into a dumpster? I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like like an injuries in a fight like that. Um, my yeah. my brother got uh, his shoulder dislocated. And, and, you know, at the time he's like 30 and it's like, oh, this is not the same as what happens, you know, when you're like 18. No, <laughs> so you got to go to work and your arm doesn't work. So. Mm. 
Yeah, my, <laughs> my uh, son's taking karate virtually, and we, uh, so, like, the instructor's like, do okay, and I've done all this, so I can show him, like, how to do stuff, but he was like, they wanted to do, they were doing a jumping sidekick today, and he was like, can you show me? And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no You're on your own here. <laughs> Also, all of my games at this point of my life are like, here, what can we do sitting down? <laughs> yeah. Like, I suck at tag. <laughs> my, my, like, main goal as a parent is to find ways that we can play that involve me laying down. I've probably lost a good chunk of hair because, like, he's he's into Frozen, so he loves braids. And he's like, let me braid. I'm like, you know what? That's fine. I'm going to lay here face down and I'll just endure that and not move. <laughs> yeah, any, t- any chance to rest. You know? <laughs> you call this playing, I call this a nap. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Earlier tonight, I was. we were downstairs. We, our basement's kind of a play area for him. And I was lying down and we, were, we had the TV on and I was watching and he was just throwing stuff at my back. And I was like <laughs> thinking like, you know, this is the closest I've had to a massage. <laughs> so I was just like pointing to the things. So I was like, no, 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 no. Throw the plastic football. That's fine. Just, yeah, really, a little lower. <laughs> <laughs> going to try that tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) i mean there's better ways to get a massage but i'm just saying it's yeah but kids have a lot of energy hey these are troubled times man you got to do what you got to do you have to make sacrifices (laughs) (laughs) so um getting close to needing to go make dinner for my wife so um do you uh, have any news for us about anything else up and coming or anything else you want to talk about uh, I had a short story that was just published uh, a couple of weeks ago in Tough Magazine, which is an online awesome. magazine, and it's uh, called The Myth of the Centaur. It's about a man who watches pornography while wearing a horse head mask. I'm really proud of that one. Um, well, I mean, gosh, that's yeah, yeah, right. Hell yeah, that I mean, that's the best like blurb I've ever heard. I thought you were gonna say like, yeah, who doesn't do that? <laughs> I, I, this was a thing. I thought I was something up. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, oh yeah, man, that's the. <laughs> Mine has real horse hair. Yours doesn't. <laughs> um, and then otherwise, yeah, I have a couple of projects coming up. I don't have any. I don't have a book coming. It's kind of weird because I had a book coming out in 2019, 2020, and now I, I don't have anything immediate but i have a couple of anthologies coming out later this year and i don't have the release dates for those yet one is edited might be 2022 but edited by uh a guy we mentioned earlier angel luis colon nice awesome yeah he's great so i um excited about that but the best way to find that stuff is probably my website uh eamr.com okay excellent that's great Oh, and thank you again for having me. This was great. Oh. This was so much fun. I mean, I uh, I I can't even imagine like if I had to jot down like when I tweet this later, you know, once once it airs and say like, so we discussed. I'm gonna be like people are like what? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, 
do you have social there. media accounts, and are they on your website? Yeah, everything's on my website. Okay. I'm on okay. Facebook and Twitter um, right and on. Instagram, but uh, I, it's mainly just an assortment of memes and dick jokes. So Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, that's what we're all here for. <laughs> <laughs> memes, dick jokes, jokes, dogs, and books. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. and pictures of my bulldog. Um, yeah. She's a constant. <laughs> What's her name? Uh, Sammy. Sammy. Mm-hmm. I named her after. Uh, I really. There's a sandwich at Quiznos called Sammy's. <laughs> they were a little tiny <laughs> ones, so we named her after that. <laughs> I, I love that so much. Yeah, I'm sitting here picturing the name Sam, and now I'm craving a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> but she's great. She's 10 years old now, so she's. Uh, and for a bulldog, that's like 200 years of people. Yeah. Age. Yeah. You'd be, su- you'd be surprised, though. Is she your first bulldog? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they can live a long time. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if we'll be a bulldog family, you know, because we really yeah. would prefer to have a rescue, you know, for yeah. a dog. But, um, but bulldogs are great. If you want a dog that that enjoy that that considers lying down a game, mm-hmm. <laughs> then a bulldog yeah. is very. And if you don't have a strong sense of like, if you, if COVID took away your sense of smell. Then a bulldog might be the animal for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a helping endorsement right there. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, next, so I mean, are you guys going to restart Noir like at the actual bar? Do you think when all this clears up, you think it's going to stay virtual? We'll keep it virtual for. So I. I've been doing it with, in addition to the writers, I, I work, we, I have a musician who performs, a, she's a jazz singer and she does two uh-huh. songs uh, at, at each event. And then I also have a mixologist who, uh, who makes a custom cocktail based off one of the books that evening. So the three of us are sort of spearheading it together now. Um, and we, so, you know, with, with that kind of thing, it would be a lot of fun to do a live but I think we're going to wait till at least the fall and see how things okay. are things are yeah. out. Probably smart. I, I want to go. Yeah. That sounds fun as hell. But well, when's, the next, yeah. when's the next virtual one? Uh, it'll be in March. I haven't announced March. it yet. Okay. I don't know. But you three should absolutely – we should touch base after this about reading at one of these. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I, I, I would just love, I'd just love to, uh, to attend, you know, to That just, it sounds like so much fun. So yeah, well, I yeah. will, I'll, I'll send you guys the info and, uh, yeah, that'd be great. And yeah, like I said, let's, uh, and it'd be great to have you on screen at him too. So awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm not really, but I'd do it. <laughs> I did sense kind of a yeah, all right, awesome. Well, I was just I was like, okay, so I'd have to brush my hair. I'm gonna yep. okay, put on makeup. All right, find you, know, a, you just have to get mentally prepared. I yeah. I'd have to find a new recording spot. You can you can transmit from your closet, Rich. No way. <laughs> Well, thank uh, you so, so very much. This was so much fun. And um, if you all have not uh, picked up They're Gone, you should. It's excellent. Uh, really well written, really fast paced, really enjoyable crime novel. Uh, thank you so much. And thanks again for having me on. This was, uh, was terrific. Thank you for being here, man. 
Yeah, our pleasure. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, Have a good back. night. You too. I'm going to give the standard quote, though. Um, do you want to come back as a guest host once in a while? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> I, I, like to, I like to build that list so I can get handles <laughs> to victimize when we need someone else to do the work for us. Let me know whatever. All right. All right. We'll awesome. keep them. You're on the list. Thanks, man. All right. Thank you so much to all of you. Thanks. Have a good night. Have a good night.